Good evening. Nice to be with you again. Let's open our Bibles this evening to Judges chapter 1. The book of Judges in the Old Testament, chapter 1. I know you're studying Isaiah on Wednesday nights, uh, but oftentimes uh, I feel that the Old Testament is, is often neglected. And uh, when I was at a certain assembly in Mexico, and uh, I attended there for over 10 years, I had never heard anything from the Old Testament outside of Isaiah 53, Psalm 23, Psalm 22, and sometimes in Genesis. Never. When the Bible tells us, making a comment on itself, that it's in all scripture is inspired by God. And all scripture is profitable for us. That we may be thoroughly equipped and maybe we'll, we'll continue that thought of, of Jeff's this morning uh, being that spearhead of the spear, making our walk go ahead of our talk as we go down. And the book of Judges is a book that's often overlooked. It's often not seen as relevant today. What does that have to do with anything other than men want to lift weight so they can look like Samson? Well, at least that's what the peanut sellers around our house say. Come and, and eat and buy our peanuts. We'll deliver them right to your door. And you, and you know you'll be beautiful. Just like Delilah and strong. Just like Samson. Come and buy our peanuts. And, and that's about all we, we really think about the book of Judges. But the book of Judges was a book. Traditionally, it's given to that. Samuel wrote the book. It's written in a time before there was a king in Israel, which sort of implies that at the time it was written, there was a king in Israel. But it might also have a double meaning because the New Testament talks about someone called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Yeshua. And in the time of the judges, we could see that not even God was the king of Israel's people or his people. Oh, he was there as, as a figurehead. He was there as a namesake. But in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own sight, in their own mind. And as we consider the, the church today, in general, we might wonder to ourselves, is there a king over God's people? As everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And it's, it's a somber thought, isn't it? We read in the scriptures that God abhors violence. But there are Christian outreaches using martial arts and ultimate fighting. Does that make sense? Oh, it's going to attract the unbelievers. Well, so does pornography. Are you going to start showing pornography in your cinema because it's no longer a sanctuary for God? And it is relevant to us today. There are many things in it that talk to us. And I think sometimes we get a, a bad interpretation of the book of Judges. And it's mostly because in Hebrews chapter 11, when the, that great chapter of the faith, and I have to be behind here before, so they can hear me in the tape. Uh, <laughs> it says, and by faith, then it mentions somebody like Samson and Gideon. And we think they must have been wonderful men and women of God. 
But when we read the book of Judges, we find that Samson wasn't really a man of God. He was more of a ladies' man than a man of God, wasn't he? And so why we end up treating some of these men and women as heroes rather than for what they really are. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it's talking about faith and by faith. And beloved, if anything's going to be done for God, it has to be done by faith. If any man has not faith, Romans 14 tells us, it is sin. And so we need to keep that in mind. And as we think about the church today, we think of the preoccupation of material wealth. I'm not sure exactly how it is here, but, but you know, in our assembly, you know, if some young person decides that they don't want to go to university, that's considered a bad thing. They want to work as a carpenter. Well, I guess we don't have too many carpenters. As a bricklayer, <laughs> that might be a, a better use of the word in where we live. That's frowned upon. Well, you, you need to have a good job so you make good money. If you, if you send me $100, God will bless you 10 times or 100 times. The health and wealth gospel. If, if you do this, God will heal you. And it turns Christianity, beloved, into the fertility religions of the time of the judges. Those times of Baal, the god of the rain. Probably the most famous story about Baal and the god of rain is Elijah. But we read of one of the judges named Barak and his co-judge Deborah. And God made it rain and defeated Sisera and Jabin in the valley of Jezreel. We think of the blending of a and the aberrant forms of worship that are in the church today. Where does that come from? We can think of the refusal of many to obey the Lord's call in their life. He says, be ye separate. And when people look at us and our lives and our homes, they don't see a whole lot of difference. Statistics, and I know you can warp a statistic to anything you want it to mean. Do you know that 100% of people who have died ate breakfast? Must mean that breakfast causes death, right? You can, you can twist that anyway, and I know the statistics tell us that in people that are Christians, the divorce rate is as high as among non-Christians, and that's a little bit skewed because most non-Christians don't bother to get married. <laughs> you live with somebody for a few years, and then, or a few months, and you get tired of that person, and, and you go off on your own way. They're not quite like Britney Spears who gets married for a whole day and then gets divorced after that. They just never bothered to get married in the first place. And it skews that statistic. But when people look at the church and see the divorce rates, they see the divisions, that people are no longer meeting in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ with him as the gathering point, but we're meeting in the name of so-and-so. There was a division in an assembly in the Baha caused by the teachings of people who decided that Watchman Nee was more important than the Lord Jesus himself or Paul. 
and divided an assembly about 15 years ago. In the last year and a half, Watchman Nee and his teachings are starting to divide another assembly down the Baja Peninsula. And they think that the Apostles' doctrine isn't so important and it causes a division. We look at the church and we see the moral compromises. Oh, it doesn't really matter that they're not Christians. They're against abortion. So we'll go against abortion. It doesn't really matter that they're morally inept and as corrupt as a Democrat. We're Christians, white Christians in particular, and so we're Republicans. I know I just stepped on a few toes. But you look at the political world, beloved, and we spend more money on politics than we do on the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that sound right? Especially backing a fellow that isn't a Christian. And the agenda he's promoting is anti-biblical. Oh, he might have been sort of a moral fellow, and, but Mitt Romney was a Mormon by profession. Denies the deity of Christ, denies saving grace. And you see the corruption as it comes into the church. We see a reluctance to answer the Lord's call to service today. Oh, the Lord wanted Barak to do it. He wanted a man to do it. And there was no man who wanted to do it. So he, he saw this faithful woman serving under a palm tree outside of the town. And, and everybody and, and their sheep. I was going to say dog, but the Jews don't like dogs very much. But they like sheep. Would go to Deborah to find help and have her intercede for them with the Lord. And the Lord used her in a mighty way because men wouldn't answer the call. Do we see that in the church today as, as men by the dozens and hundreds and thousands give up their God-appointed right to be a priest in the assembly? And then the priest in the assembly goes to the highest bidder like the Levitical priest as we get later on in the book of Judges. We change the words in the Lord's Prayer for our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. In some word, way, somehow thy kingdom come gets changed to my kingdom come. There's a huge split in a Korean church in L.A. You probably heard about it. Some of the Christians in this church decided, why are all the pastors millionaires? They didn't start out as millionaires. Should the pastors be millionaires? I don't know. <laughs> I guess if the Lord wants them to be millionaires, but if you're fleecing God's flock, well, that's a whole different story, isn't it? The question was asked at an assembly elders conference in Mexico. Why don't we get paid? And the answer was simple, because we do it because we love the people of God. No other reason. We love them. That's why even people like me who serve the Lord in, in full time, we have no paycheck. <laughs> I have no contract with anybody except the Lord. And I figure if the Lord's my boss, he's going to pay my paycheck. That beloved man, Hudson Taylor, used to say, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply.
And I've proved that faithful. Since 1996, and the Lord has provided everything. I remember meeting a man named T. Ernest Wilson. And, and T. Ernest Wilson was given a gold sovereign. I'm not exactly sure what a gold sovereign is. Something that they use as money in, in Great Britain. And, and a man said, you know, Ernest, the Lord's going to provide all you need. And if you need to use this, use this. And he gave him this gold sovereign in 1924. And you know, he still had it in 1996 before he went to be with the Lord. And you know, I was thinking, you know, God, you're, you're the same God that I have that, that Mr. Wilson has. And God said to me, yes, I am. I said, well, that's a good thing. And you know what, brother? He gave me a gift of $200 later that week. And I gave $100 to a missionary, and I put $100 in my wallet way back in 1996. And I probably won't be able to find it right now, but it's in here somewhere. There it is. It's not really $100 because it's Canadian money, so it's only like $98. But, <laughs> but there it is. And you know, sometimes we've had to eat beans. <laughs> and I've forgotten that this was in my wallet. I could have cashed it, but the Lord made me forget. <laughs> but beloved, it's thy kingdom come. Not my kingdom come. And so many in the Lord's work today are in it for their own gain and their own benefit and their own profit. And we see that in the book of Judges. We also see an eagerness and even joy to go and, and fight the Lord's battles with the Lord's means and using the Lord or the words mean, world's means and the world's methods. We're hearing about some evangelistic meetings that I think are coming up in some place, and, and they invited a fellow who's very famous, a television star, a duck fellow with a long beard, who according to the statement of belief of the church he attends, he's not a Christian. He's a member of a cult. Oh, but we'll use the world's means, you know, because, well, you know, if the Charlotte, no, they're not Charlotte anymore, the Hornets or whatever came to play the Lakers, nobody goes to that game. But when Michael Jordan comes, well, that's a, now you have a big name attraction coming to town and that game gets sold out. And you know, at our gospel meetings, we need them to be sold out. We need all those seats filled. Because God can't work if all those seats aren't filled. And we start to turn and and we reluctantly think, well, the Lord's going to bless this even if we don't use the world's means and the world's methods. And the book of Judges is all about how God is greater than the world's means and the world's methods. But that's enough of the negative. We, we also learn a whole lot about God in the book of Judges. We can see how he graciously calls his people time after time after time. Come, remember the covenant, the relationship that we made and we have. Beloved, that's part of the beauty in the Lord's Supper. Because on the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he, he took wine and had it in a cup. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do you remember that? We were at a wedding last night and they had a toast to the bride. We're supposed to have Sprite, I guess, in our glasses, but I had switched tables sometime during the night and the glass in front of me had lipstick on it, so I wasn't about to use it, so I wasn't really involved in the toast, but they had a toast. And, and anyways, in the toast, it says something like, to the groom. And everybody lifts up their cup and they say, to the groom. We're all in one accord with that. And they say, to the bride. And everybody responds, to the bride. We're all of one mind. We agree with what you're saying. And beloved, when we take that cup and we lift it to our lips, we're saying, Lord, we love that new covenant. <laughs> You're going to be our God. And we're, we're your people. And sometimes we like the second part better than the first part. But the first part's really the better part. And, he, and then he adds, and your sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. But all of that, aren't you glad and, and of one mind and one accord when we remember that new covenant? In some places they don't like to remember that new covenant <laughs> for some strange reason. But beloved, God is the God that calls his people back to remember the covenant he made with his people that he would be their God. We see how God is the only wise God. There's no one like him. Oh, in the chapter one, you'll read about how they couldn't take the people in the plains because they had chariots. You know, the, they were sophisticated. They had the technology. It was the Bronze Age and God's people were still living in the Stone Age. They said, we can't do it. We just, they have horses. They have chariots and we can't do it. And they threw in the towel. And God didn't give them the victory because <laughs> they threw in the towel. But when we get to Barak and, or do you guys say Barak now? I don't know how to pronounce his name anymore. I used to, that's how I learned it was called Barak, but you guys have a president named Barak. So I'm not sure how to say his name anymore. And Deborah, and, and they had chariots, and they had horses, and, and what was their advantage, or supposed advantage? God turns it into a death trap. Oh, the Kishon River is usually just a stream that, that even Scotty, when he had his braces on his legs, could jump across. Now, I know Scotty was pretty limber when he had those braces on his legs because I saw him run around, and I'm not quite sure how he did it, but he did it. He probably could have beaten me in the 50-meter dash, especially toward the swimming pool. But, you know, God turned it into a death trap on them. That little tiny river that was so easy to cross, all of a sudden God showed that he had authority over Baal, the rain God, and the rain came down and the flood came up. And their chariots and horses were all washed away. The same people who said they're too strong for us, well, of course they're too strong for us. <laughs> they're not too strong for God. They're people that run around thinking they're stronger than the devil. I curse thee, Satan. And things like that. When even Michael, the archangel, said, the Lord reproach thee. And beloved, today, our God is still that great and mighty, all-powerful God of the times of the judges. Who destroyed Satan at the cross. He came to 
undo the world's power, Galatians chapter 1 says in us, to us. And it's something that we need to remember. The Lord is, is gracious still. He doesn't give people what they deserve. Imagine if I got what I deserved or you got what you deserved. But we love those verses in Lamentations, don't we? That morning by morning, or that's the song, sorry. <laughs> His mercies are new every morning, says Lamentations. The song says morning by morning, new mercies I see. And he treats us with mercy and gives us what we don't deserve and withholds from us what we do deserve. We still understand that it is the Lord who's building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And you know, in the book of Judges, when anything was done for God, it said God delivered them. God gave them over. It wasn't so much that Samson did it or Barak did it or Othniel did it. It was what God did. And he's the God that's still building his church today. All wonderful things for us to learn from the book of Judges. And you might wonder why I took so long talking about it. It's because the book is, is often neglected. And I hope to stir in you an interest to go and study the book. It's a book full of irony. God uses his people in judgment against the wickedness of the people of the world. But the same God uses the wicked people of the world to judge his people. Imagine that. To prove us, says Judges chapter 2. Because no one can serve two masters. He's going to hate one and love the other, love one and hate the other. And it's the same God, beloved. It's, it's a book that's arranged in it, and it shows us the downward spiral of the people of God. One author calls it the canonization of God's people. We see it right in chapter 1. They, they go against a king and they cut off his fingers and his toes. Oh, the people of Israel won the victory, but where did they get that idea to cut off his fingers and toes? Well, we read about it. Well, I've done that to ten kings, and, and now I'm getting it done back to me. And it's often preached something like this. Whatever you sow, that's what you reap. But beloved, where did the Israelites, where did the people of God learn how to cut off fingers and toes? Ten Commandments, the book of Leviticus, Joshua. No, they learned it from the guy that cut off fingers and toes, the guy from the world. That's what we do. But that's not what God does. And he's going to teach us that. And, and we see, and we're going to just look at one of them tonight, in this spiral that that goes down and down until the last judge is doing what the first judge fought against. And we see this, they call it chiastic parallelism, which is kind of a, a funny way to say the first one goes with the last one, the second one goes with the second last one, the third one goes with the third last one, etc. But we see in... Othniel, the first judge, will see him going and preaching against intermarrying with people who aren't part of God's people. And we see Samson marrying Philistine women. We see Ehud, maybe you remember him, the left-handed judge who who had the, probably the grossest job to do of all of them. He had to stab this really fat guy. And if you thought I was fat, 
You don't know nothing because it says he stuck this long dagger in and the fat oozed over his hand. That just is yucky. He did that against the Moabites who sacrificed their children. Jephthah, the second last judge, you know what he did? He sacrificed his daughter. God didn't want his daughter. <laughs> but he, in his silliness, made a vow, and he thought he had to keep that vow and sacrifice his daughter just like the Moabites did. The third judge, Barak and Deborah, we see a godly woman in Deborah and another godly woman in jail who took a, a tent peg and a hammer and put it through the, the head of the enemy. The wicked people of the world. And there's another judge called Abimelech. And another woman was involved and she threw a rock and it hit him on his head. And he died. Then there's Gideon, the middle judge. Gideon started off pretty good. He destroyed the groves and the Ashtaroth poles. Idolatry. And they wanted to make him king. And he said, there is no king except for God. And then he called his son Abimelech. Melech means king in Hebrew. Abi means my dad. And so Gideon, who preached against there being nobody for a king in Israel except for God, named his son, my dad is king. And after he tore down the Ashtaroth groves and the idols, he had this breastplate that was set up as an idol. And he's sort of the transition point, and you see it all through the book of Judges. The downward spiraling of God's people. But we'd like to just consider really fast in the last 12 minutes that I have this evening, Othniel in chapter 1. Let's open our Bibles to Othniel, or not Othniel, Judges chapter 1. We want to read a little bit about Othniel. Now I need my glasses. Verse 12, And Caleb said, He that smiteth kirjath Sefer and taketh it, to him I will give Aksa, my daughter, to wife. And Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, to wife. And it came to pass when she came to him that she moved him to ask of her father a field. And she lighted off from her ass. And, and Caleb said unto her, what, what wilt thou? And she said unto him, Give me a blessing, for thou hast given me a south land. Also give me springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the nether springs, or the lower springs. Nether means lower. We have the Netherlands, and they're all below water or sea level. And so we get this story of Othniel. And Othniel had his eye on a gal, apparently. And Caleb, the same Caleb from Joshua and Caleb, says, whoever takes this town, I'm going to give them my daughter. And some people think that's kind of cruel, and look at what he's doing. But he was, he was actually providing for his daughter, wasn't he? If you're going to take a town, you're not going to be a lazy man. You're not going to be a wimpy man. You're not going to be an indecisive man. Some of you are parents. What kind of boyfriend are you approving of for your daughter? Is he a strong man, a decisive man? Or is he kind of wishy-washy and lazy? And sometimes we wonder why our children struggle in their marriages. Well, we approved of it. 
They asked us if anybody has an objection, stand up now or forever hold your peace. And I still see somebody stand up. But there's still a lot of divorces happening and and surely as there's a God in heaven, God has given one or two parents a brain cell between their ears and a relationship with their children enough to, to guide their children. We think it's good enough to provide shoes and clothing for our children. Beloved, that ain't enough. We want them to be independent. We want them to create their own strong, Christ-centered family. And giving them the latest shoes and the latest shirts and the latest telephone and the latest computer doesn't necessarily produce those things. But godly love and godly counsel that does produce those things. So some look down on Caleb, what a dinosaur he is, but he was actually providing for his daughter. And we, we see his care for his daughter because he says, what wilt thou? What do you want? Well, I want a blessing. The traditional Jewish blessing that's given at the wedding. You gave me the Southlands, but there's one problem with the Southlands. It's a desert. And there's not any water. Why don't you give me some land with water too? And Caleb blessed. And gave the upper springs and the lower springs. She was so on the ball. You know, if my family's going to survive, having the land isn't enough. They need the water. It's the water. What does it say in the Salton Sea? Where, well, it says it also up in San Joaquin Valley, where water flows, food grows, or something like that. And, and it's the absolute truth. You go down where we are, and, and you see the fields that are irrigated, and they're green. If you didn't lift your eyes up too high, you might even think you were in Ireland, except for the heat. Uh, but you look at the next field over, that wasn't water, and it's just a dry, barren wasteland. She never showed any disrespect. She even bowed before her father and asked. And we see in Aksa just a prime example of, of godly womanhood, knowing her role, knowing her, her boundaries and doing things acceptably before the Lord. Let's look at Judges chapter 3 for a second. We'll read more about Othniel here. Chapter 3 and verse 5, The children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites and Amorites and Parasites and Hivites and Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the God, Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel and he went out to war and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hands. And his hand prevailed against Cushan Rishathaim and the land had rest 40 years. And Othniel, the son of Canaan, dies. It's interesting, Othniel isn't even a Jew. He's a Kenite. And it's also interesting that as we read this story, Kushan Rishathaim, the blackness of double wickedness is what his name means. 
Beloved, how are you going to face the blackness of double wickedness? You know what the secret to Othniel's success was? We read about him in chapter, her about in chapter one. A godly wife, a godly spouse. Beloved, if you're going to face the evils of this world and have success in defeating it, if you don't have a godly spouse, it isn't going to happen. If your spouse doesn't encourage you in the things of God, doesn't sanctify you, doesn't help you grow and mature and, and blossom when the blackness of double wickedness comes into your life. And he will or she will because <laughs> the devil wanders to and fro over this whole world to see whom he may devour. He's been doing it since the times of Adam. Although in the times of Adam, he was slithering to and fro. But you've seen how snakes move. They go to and fro, don't they? We see in the book of Job, where were you, Satan? Oh, I was just walking to and fro on the earth, stretching my legs, you know. Left out that other part, seeking whom I may devour. And when the blackness of double wickedness comes, how are you going to win? How are you going to stand? Beloved, you need a godly family. Let's read about the last judge, Judges chapter 14. I don't even know if I have time to read this. You know the story of Samson. Actually, we'll turn to chapter 16. And when Samson went to Gaza and saw there a harlot, and he went unto her, and it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson is come hither, and they compassed him in and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city, and, and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. And Samson lay until midnight, and arose at midnight, and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and went away with them, bar and, and all, and and put them upon his shoulders, and he carried them to the top of a hill that is before Hebron. So he carried them a long way. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came unto her and said unto her, Entice him, and see wherein is his great strength lieth. And by what means we may prevail against him, and and we may bind him to afflict him, and we will give thee, every one of us, 1,100 pieces of silver. And Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. And that's enough. We read the rest of the story of Samson. It's just a sad sight. What was the secret to Samson's downfall? His wife, an ungodly woman who thought money was more important than love, although she probably never loved him in the first place. Now we're going to go to the young people here. In Ephesians, it tells us that. Husbands are supposed to behave a certain way. Love their wives as Christ loved the church. Tells the women that they should behave in a certain way also. Wives, obey your husbands. And How's that going to happen? If the one you're going out with isn't doesn't know what the love of Christ is. How's your, you think your husband's going to love you as Christ loved the church if he doesn't know the love of Christ? Fellows, how do you think your wife's going to obey you and respect you and honor you if they don't honor God and they don't know what that means? And when 
the blackness of double wickedness comes and tempts. And you don't have that godly spouse behind you. What's going to happen? There are a lot of commands in, in the Bible, and, and God didn't put commands there to make things bad. Things were bad, and that's why God made commands. Sometimes tractors dig holes in the... You know the holes are dangerous? That's why they put barricades around them, because they're dangerous. And it says, do not enter. They have to put them around construction sites and everything nowadays. They used to not have to do that because people used to have a brain cell between their ears in the olden days. But now people decide, well, that hole isn't very dangerous. We'll play in it. Or this construction site isn't very dangerous. We'll play in it. So they have to put fences around everything because they're already dangerous. Just because they put a fence around it didn't make it dangerous. It was dangerous already. And God gives us moral laws, beloved. He sees the damage and the pain that, that sin causes. Some of you are divorced. Some of you know divorced people and you have divorced people in your family. And the divorce was caused by infidelity. Did that cause any pain? Did that cause any hurt? Did that damage anybody's children? Did anybody have to take medication to calm their nerves to sleep at night? A lot of people did. And a lot of people were hurt. That's why God says, what does it say in English? <laughs> Thou shalt not commit adultery. I was thinking of it in Spanish, and it's much shorter in Spanish. Because he wants to make adultery bad? No, no, no. He already knew the pain and the damage it causes, and so he says, don't do it. That's what the moral law of God does, beloved. And sometimes as young people, we... You, I used to be a young people, but I'm not anymore. We, you sometimes get carried away. But the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked to non-believers. And sometimes we think, well, it's a nice person. She's a nice person. She actually behaves herself better than a lot of people in the assembly that I know. At least that's what the young people tell me in Mexicali. And we try to justify it. But as we were learning this morning, it's just not right. God said it. I like the way some of you remember Harold Summers. He's been here for a couple of conferences. And the last time we were in Canada, he says, you know, God, God answers prayers in different ways. He says, sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says wait. Sometimes God says, I have something better for you. He says, God never says no. He says, I have something better for you. <laughs> and then there's the one that we don't want God to answer this way. When God says, oh, all right. Have it your way. And then the pain and the damage come. There was Othniel preaching against intermarriage with the Canaanites, and there was the last judge doing exactly what the first judge was preaching against, doing what the first judge delivered them from. And we see the world creeping in to the people of God in the book of Judges, and we see it creeping into the church today. Beloved, the book of Judges is a book very relevant to today. There's some books that try to make the seven churches out to be the seven major judges in the book of Judges. Don't buy those books. They're not very good. Uh, I know because I was foolish and I bought them and I read them. And, uh, 
and I found them not very good. But there are some good books. One of the best ones is What the Bible Teaches. It's a good help. Bill McDonald's commentary is a good help. But as you read the book of Judges and you read it over and over again, like Joe McHale tells us to do, just keep reading it and keep reading it and keep reading it. God's still the same God that spoke to Joe McHale and spoke to Bill McDonald. He's the same God today. <laughs> and just because you're a man or just because you're a woman, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to teach you. It's the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to behold the wonderful things out of his word. And beloved, just keep reading it. Let it sift, seep in. Jabe Nicholson used to say, people used to tell him that I just don't get it. None of it's sticking. And he says, you mean sort of like a, oh, I forget what you call them in English, uh, a sifter. You ever pour water into a sifter? Strainer, that's what we call it, a strainer, not a sifter. If you ever pour water into a strainer, how much water sticks? None. You all made spaghetti before, a craft dinner, and you dump the pot into the strainer, and, and how much water stays? And you can pour lots of water into that strainer, and none of it stays, but you know what? The strainer gets clean. And you might not understand the book of Judges, beloved, the first time you read it. Maybe you won't understand it the tenth time you read it. But you know, it's doing its cleansing work on your soul. It's a wonderful book, so I encourage you to read the book of Judges. I know you have the book of Isaiah to read first, and that's the main priority. But if you get a free time between classes or I was going to say, well, I just stop late, but then maybe that's not a good thing. Uh, you could listen to it on tape. No, they don't have tapes anymore. On MP3s or your iPod or your iPhone. Or... Listen to it and listen to it. God has so many lessons for us. The Lord bless you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Scotty, would you close in prayer, please?